welcome to the City Point Church podcast. Thanks for joining us. Every day is an opportunity to take hold of. So we hope this message inspires you and builds your faith, that it helps you have more of a God perspective for your day. Enjoy. Aren't you just in love with Jesus? Aren't you just in love with Jesus? Take a moment before you sit down and just, just let him know how much you love him. This is all about you, Lord. God, I pray you're honoured in this speech, Father. I pray, Lord, our direction would be towards you this morning, that you would captivate our hearts in new levels and new ways. Amen. Why don't you take a seat? <laughs> oh, I'm really, really grateful that Pastor Graham got up and just set the tone for the message this morning because there is no condemnation in Christ. There's no condemnation in Christ. He's a good God, and Jesus' blood really did pay the price for your sin. I'm going to bring up a book this morning. We're going to be reading from this. It'll be a little bit like a bedtime story, except don't fall asleep. That's not the purpose. Stay awake. But this book is called Imagine Heaven. It's one my dad-in-law brought our family just over a year ago. I talk about my dad-in-law a lot. He's a cool guy. And this is a cool book. Um, it is a collection of near-death experiences. Uh, and whether you believe that or not, I'm not going to bring anything this morning that is not already supported in the Bible. So these concepts that I bring out to you are supported in the Bible, which we will go over. And uh, this man, John Burke, um, he, he compiled these stories. It's a bestseller in the New York Times. It sold more than 500,000 copies. And he went to go and find people stories, because there were lots and lots to choose from. But the ones that present in this book are from people who had everything to lose by telling their story. Atheists, uh, people in high position, by telling this story, they actually lost some things in life, but they gained everything. And so I really want you just to keep in your heart that that there is no condemnation in Christ, there really isn't. And this book, actually, the more that you read it, it just talks about when people meet Jesus, they just are overwhelmed with this love that they cannot describe. Jesus loves you fiercely, intensely, and knows you better than anybody. And this love, they, they, there's nothing on earth that compares to it. The closest thing that they found was a really beautiful marriage, but even that didn't compare to the love that he has for you. The story that I am going to bring out this morning, it's a little on the heavy side, so just, um, it, I'm going to read from a chapter called The Life Review. Okay, so here we go. I know, I know. <laughs> The Life Review. This is the story of a man called Howard, um, Howard Storm, and this is his account. He reads, oh sorry, uh, writes, there are those angels in a semicircle around us. I'm being held. I'm now facing them with Jesus' arms still around me, holding me, hanging me in space outside of heaven. They gave me a life review. Jesus wanted them to play out in chronological order the scenes of my life. Mine was not like some people describe panoramic instantaneous. Mine was chronological from when I was born up to the present, moment by moment, life by life, in detail, including knowing and experiencing the feelings of people that I was interacting with. Did you get that? 
the entire emphasis of my life review was my interactions with other people. Of course, initially starting out with my own mother and father, my sister's school and friends. So the review of his life was not what Howard had expected and it seemed to be presented not from his own memory but from the perspective of a third party. Together, he and the angels watched scenes from his life unfold, many of which he had forgotten. He was shown not only the events themselves but also their effect on other people's lives and the thoughts and feelings of other people with whom he had interacted. Details Howard had known about at the, I'm sorry, had not known about at the time and the events that had taken place. It goes on, Howard goes on and continues, I learned from my life review regarding the relationship with my father. I had participated in the breakdown of that relationship as much as he did. He was not a good father to me and I resented it and I was angry at him. So I did everything I could subconsciously and sometimes consciously to be as rebellious and as cold-hearted towards him as possible, which only aggravated him more and made him more of a hostile father. So the things that I had seen in my life where I was the victim and everyone else was the bad guy, I came to find out was actually a two-way street. We were both playing this game. As a son to my mother and father, I had failed them. My father and I had no relationship and my poor mother, because of my dad and I not speaking to each other, we didn't have much of a relationship either. I had a very poor relationship with my sisters. I had not been a good husband to my wife. The whole emphasis was on people and not on things. As my life progressed, my adolescence into adulthood, I saw myself turning completely away from God, church and all that and becoming a person who decided that life was all about being the biggest, baddest bear in the woods. As a matter of fact, there were some instances where I had won promotions, honours, awards, and they skipped over them. I said to Jesus, you're skipping the most important part of my life. This is what I lived for, was to get this award. Kentucky Artist of the Year. It was a big banquet in my honour and a huge cash prize and everything. And he said, that's not what we're here for you to see. That's not important. What I want you to see is how you treated the students. Howard could barely watch some of the scenes of his life as they were replayed by the angels and he was particularly distressed by how he had treated his children when he neglected them to focus on his own career and accomplishments rather than on their need to feel loved by him. All right, disclaimer, I've literally picked the heaviest like passage of scripture, of, not scripture, of, of this book. How are you going? <laughs> we all right? <laughs> I know it's a little bit heavy, but the purpose of reading this is not to feel guilt about what we've done. It even explains in here in this life review that it was a small circle. There were a few angels and Jesus. It wasn't paraded in front of everybody. Like Jesus is not about humiliating us. But he explains that part of the purpose of this life review was to actually get us to understand our life a little bit more. And the reason I bring this to you this morning is because I want you to understand in life what's important. Why are we here? Let's, why don't we go to scripture, hey? Well, let's read the Bible. In Matthew 22, 36, 40, it reads, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. 
and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these hang all of the law and all of the prophets. The title of my message this morning is The Meaning of Life. So according to this book, we have a life review. Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of thought, you know, years ago that as a Christian, we just sort of skip on into heaven, leave all of this behind, and none of it matters anymore. But the entire opposite is true. Every single thing that we do every single day matters so much on the other side. And as a Christian, I, I've sometimes come across people we're so excited about the blood of Jesus, and rightfully so. You should be excited about the blood of Jesus because it does wash you clean. It does purify you. He does talk about it as cleaning you, your sin, your, your regrets. Every ugly thing, every ugly intention, every ugly thought will be washed. And the Bible describes it as white as snow by the blood of Jesus. And I am excited about that. But if that's where we stop, if meeting Jesus and understanding that he's now washed us clean, praying to him, having that moment, and then stopping, you know, sitting back going, okay, let's go and grab a latte, we'll just sit back here, watch the sunset, I'm going to heaven, I'm on easy street, this is awesome, I'm not going to hell, yay for me. We're missing some of the purpose that God has intended for you in your life. So if you want to know what the meaning of life is, get out your pens, video it if you need to, here it is. I've been waiting a long time for this. I watched the Muppets when I was a girl. And they had this whole segment, this big lead up as to what the meaning of life is. And then the skit ended before that they, they said it and they did it on purpose. I felt so dirty. I was really lent in. I wanted to know what the meaning of life is. Here it is. Love God. Love others. Upon those two things have every law, every single law in Scripture, and there's a lot of them. What is it, John? 600 and something? Every law in the Bible, every book of the prophets hangs off the back of these two things. It's so simple. Love God. Love others. This is the meaning and the purpose of life. Did you notice as I was reading in this book how Jesus and the angels sort of skipped over what Howard thought was the most important thing in his life? That stood out to me. Now, in Luke 12, 13, it reads, Then someone called out from the crowd, Teacher, can you please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me? And Jesus replied, Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? And then Jesus goes on to say, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Ready for it? Life is not measured by how much you own. Life is not measured by how much you own, by how much you accumulate, by how fantastic your house is, by how great your car is by the jobs and promotions that you get, by how high you climb your workplace. Life is not measured by how much you own. And in verse 21, Jesus adds and he says, yes, a person is a fool 
to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. Are you hearing this this morning? Love God. Love others. This is the currency of heaven. This is our purpose and our meaning in life. So I'm going to race over two points this morning. And number one being, it's not all about you. It's really not all about us. In Luke 9.24, it reads, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will save it. So what does that mean, really? If we want a relationship well, if we want to do this dance with people well, there's a sacrifice that's involved. It's a laying down of us. It's a laying down of our needs. It's a laying down of please fill me, fill me, fill me, fill me. And picking up Jesus and picking up his ways. So I want to ask you, you know, what, what is your relationship with people like? What's your relationship with Jesus like? Jesus, he's not... Some people treat Jesus like he's a genie in a bottle. Yeah, come and rub this over here. Go, okay, awesome. Okay, I'm pretty sure it's three things with a genie in a bottle, isn't it? Okay, here we go. Lord, I need you to look after this bill, please. Oh, and over here, I need you to fix. You've got to fix this situation. It's hectic. And God, I need wisdom and strategy over here for this particular problem. That's... Uh-oh, there's three... God, but I need one more, Lord. Maybe you can take one of the others back. I need you to fix this child. Please, God, please, please, you've got to fix this child. I'm pretty sure you sent it to me broken. You know? <laughs> but sometimes we, we do. We treat Jesus like he's a genie in the bottle. Jesus isn't a genie in a bottle. He's God. He's a person. Jesus feels deeply. He feels about you deeply. He knows your story. He knows everything about you. You know just how much he just wants to sit there and commune with you? If you don't hear anything else this morning, you need to understand how much he loves you. <laughs> Jesus has a sense of humour. He just loves you so fiercely. How do you pray to him? How do you speak with Jesus? How do you build your relationship with him? Is it all about me? Jesus, fill me, fill my need. Fill, 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 fill. Give, 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 give. Can any part of, of our relationship be with, hallowed be your name? why we start with worship yeah and perhaps part of your prayer life actually need you need to put some disciplines in around there and go i don't want to start with god i need i don't want that to be the the first line in my prayer even in the model prayer that jesus gave it was started with hallowed be thy name acknowledging who he was acknowledging the personhood of jesus first 
So you might want to put those disciplines in and go, all right, Lord, you know, when in the morning when I come and pray to you, I'm just going to make sure that that first part is just about you and me conversing, just about me worshipping you, just about me loving you. Yeah, I remember years ago, I put in a discipline in my prayer life. Um, We were in a, a state, we had few different businesses between us and income used to come in from all over the place <laughs> um, and one of the first things I did well the first thing I did when I got up in the morning was check my bank accounts and the Holy Spirit really just challenged me on it and I went all right Lord no longer no longer will I check that account until I've actually just spent time with you I'm not going to make my morning prayer be after I've just seen all the bank accounts and go, oh God I need I need I need I need help (laughs) which is often our prayer life and I'm so glad that 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 was in place because I just know that some of the most beautiful moments that I've experienced in God that I know matters to him happened in those moments even when I knew that there was going to be like really exciting money amounts in there and I'm like nope (laughs) I'm not looking I don't want to know you are first you're more important what about people What are your relationships like with people? Are they all about you? Oh, feel, 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 need, 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 me, me, me. Do you have a big list of needs, checklists, job descriptions that you have for people in order to feel loved by them? If you don't know what I'm talking about, the language around this often sounds like, if you really loved me, If you really loved me, then you would do A, B, C, D, E. If you really loved me, then you would spend all your spare time with me. Says who? Says who, really? I love how we come out with all of these definitions on what love is. It's like, said who? Who said that? I can just imagine Jesus standing here listening to all of these definitions that we come out with. Oh, yes, if you love me, then this is the result. And Jesus goes, I didn't say that. Did you say that? I didn't write that. God, did you write that? I didn't say that. And he must just be standing there going, huh, is that what love is, is it? It's got absolutely nothing to do with love. I wrote the definition, but I mean one point for creativity. Hey, all of these things, do you you know, if you really loved me, If you really loved me, then you would make a way to buy that for me. If you really loved me, if you really loved me, you would get all of these chores done inside the house. If you really loved me, you would say all of the right words at all of the right time. If you really loved me, you would fight for, you would confront, and you would be angry at that person who disrespected me. If you really love me, then you wouldn't tell anybody my very ugly secret that's destroying my life and hurting those who are close around me. If you really loved me, you wouldn't dob on me like that. Your boyfriend might say, if you really loved me, then you would satisfy all of my sexual needs. If you really loved me, then you would accept my lifestyle and my choices instead of calling them sin. Can you kind of see how, if you really loved me, you would A, B, C, D, E, isn't actually love speaking. That's your brokenness speaking. That's your selfishness speaking. You see, it's flake 
fake, plagiarizing what Jesus already defined love was. In Corinthians, it's patient and kind. It's not jealous or boastful or proud or rude, and it doesn't demand its own way. Me, 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 I, 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 need, 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 come feel my needs. Love doesn't demand its own way. So are your relationships with people, are they actually about you or are they about the other person? It's laying down your life for someone else. That's what love is. It's sacrificial. It's not feed my needs. Oh, that is just a monster of a pit and it's never, ever satisfied. The more you feed that hole, the wider it gets. Jesus is the only one who can satisfy those needs, not people. Don't give people job descriptions. Don't give children job descriptions like that. Come and feed my need to feel loved. That's, that's not their job. It's your job to raise them and your job to love them and your job to fill those buckets and needs. <laughs> anyway, I often hear people say, in marriages especially, that I have a right to be happy. I, um, I don't actually read that in here. Have I missed it? Did I miss it? You haven't read it either? Have you read the whole Bible? Oh, good girl. Have I missed it, John? Have I misinterpreted this? Pastor Graham, it's not in there? It's not in the Bible or in God's word that we have a right to be happy. It does give us a pathway for it. He's so kind. He's such a good God. He gives us the pathway for it. In Psalms 112, it explains that happy are those who love the Lord and do as he commands and do as he says. He gives us the pathway for it, but it's not actually our right. Yeah, he set the example for us. You know, it says that God so loved us, so loved us, that he made the way. He gave up sacrificed his only son and even Jesus talks about enduring the cross as a joy because of the prize where his prize and they set the example of what it is to sacrifice for it not to be about us but actually sacrificing for others that's what love looks like which brings me to my second point which is just simply care do we really care a caring it's right in the heart and the center of the meaning and the purpose of life. Pastor Ross Abraham touched on this a couple of weeks ago. He came and preached at this platform. If you missed that Sunday, you missed a really good Sunday. You can catch it on Podbean, the message, though. But Pastor Ross Abraham is the senior pastor of our entire INC movement. I have happened to have known this man for decades, and he's a good man and a good pastor. And he got up on this stage and he was so vulnerable. He was beautiful. And he just, he was really honest with us. He said, you know what, this year I hit burnout. I hit burnout in a big way. And he just stripped him right back and the Holy Spirit just highlighted to him that his heart had just got a little bit hard. Couldn't, couldn't quite love God so freely because his heart was hard. And then it came out that he was a people pleaser. You know, being a people pleaser is actually about others. It's not about, sorry, it's actually about yourself. It's not about others. Oh, I couldn't possibly have them think badly of me. 
I really hope that they see this amazing thing that I'm doing so that they can praise me. Being a people pleaser, make no mistake, it's not about people, it's all about you. And so Pastor Ross was just stripped back by the Holy Spirit, everything off, and came back to his core foundation, his primary purpose in life. So his heart was softened before God in his presence, and he just began just to love God openly, genuinely, authentically, freely, just able just to love God. And then from that place, he was then able to start actually caring for the people that God had placed in and around his life. It was beautiful. Yeah, I watched a movie um, with John a couple of weeks ago, Jesus Revolution, and uh, I was really intrigued by the character Greg Laurie, and so he's still alive today, so I Google searched him. I'm like, who are you, Mr. Pastor Greg Laurie? What drives you? And I started listening to one of his preachers, and up came one of his latest preachers, and I saw it, like, not even five minutes in, I knew exactly what he was all about. His title of the message was The Joy of Sharing the Gospel, and he talked about how awkward it is to share the gospel and how awkward it is for people to hear it. And he cut right through with this statement. He said, you just simply have to care. Just care about people. It cuts out all of the nonsense when you just care about their well-being. You care about what they're going through. Oh, I have the answer for that. You care about where they're at in life. You care about where they're going. You care about what they're experiencing. The answer was simply just to care. You know, at uh, our life group, we um, did a small study on the scripture, Romans 8.28, and it reads, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And we broke the scripture down, and when we got to the, the root of what purpose really meant, it was in relation to the showbread. And this is what came of that study is that purpose is all about doing the things that are right in front of you. So let me ask you this. Who are the people in your life that God has placed right in front of you? In Matthew 25:40, Actually, Musos, can you come? Please. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father, Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you, a stranger, and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick and in prison and go to visit you? And the king replied, truly I tell you, whatever, whatever you did, for the one of these, the least of my brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. It all matters. It all matters. Oh, if you just actually allowed yourself to imagine what it's going to be like up there, there's going to be an award ceremony that the Grammys won't be able to, like, even... Uh, it'll be off the charts. 
like nothing we've ever experienced or seen. But who are the people? Who are the people that God has placed right in front of you? And I'm not just talking geographically. I know that the Holy Spirit can highlight within you people, groups, demographics, even nations. But it starts, it starts with loving the people that he puts within your path. The people that are right under our noses that might otherwise have been invisible. Do you see them? And when you see them, do you care? Your husband, your wife, your children, your children's friends. So often in this book, it actually came up. The question was asked, do you know your children's friends' names? Colleagues, neighbours, nieces, nephews clients, even Facebook friends. We get confused thinking that life is all about how much we build, how much we own, leaving a lasting legacy here behind for us. It's just not. I'm going to read John Burke's, one of his conclusions in this book because I actually can't drum this point in any better than what he's already written. The world tells us that money matters, power matters, prestige matters, and we drive ourselves crazy trying to prove to one another that we're successful enough, important enough, powerful enough, yet in the end it's the relationship that truly matters. How ironic that in trying to prove we are worthy of love through accomplishments, we could miss accepting God's love and sharing it with those around us. And in the end, that matters more for true success. Everybody wants to change the world. Nobody wants to love their neighbor. Yet all God needs, all he needs us to do to change the world is to love him so that we can love our neighbor as much as ourselves. We may accomplish big things in the world's eyes, build huge corporations, lead sweeping political change, or even large nonprofits or churches in God's name. And that can all be good. But if we fail to love our families, our neighbors, our co-workers, and those in need of whom God puts in our path, then we have failed the primary task that God has given us. It all matters. Love God, love others. Every time you put someone's need above your own, every time you're generous, every time that you're a little bit kind, you let your brother sit in the front seat and you'll take the back. It's every time you seek God, every time you give him glory, every time you pray, every time you help to develop someone. It's every time you serve someone who does not have the capacity to pay you back. It's every time you financially give because you care. Every time you genuinely love on someone. It's every moment of worship. Every second of gratitude. It all matters and it will all be richly rewarded. 
love God, love others. In closing, I just want to read Howard's final statements of his life review. Oh, if I can find it. No matter what we watched me do in life, they, as in Jesus and the angels, they communicated their deep love for me. Even as they expressed their disapproval of things I did, to use vulgar words is only poor taste. To use the name of God in crude or empty ways is an insult to our Creator. I was horrified at how it hurt my heavenly company when we witnessed me blaspheming God and Christ Jesus. He is the nicest, kindest, most loving being I've ever met who I realized is my Lord. He's my Savior, even my Creator. Holding me and supporting me, trying to give me now more understanding of my life. And Jesus is a very feeling man. God is a very feeling creator. And they feel about us. The reason why he didn't love what I did is because it distracted me from who I was meant to be. When you see someone not only living up, uh, not living up to their potential, but actually denying their potential, I was made for one purpose and one purpose only, and that's what I was missing. The angels showed me that we do not, not earn our love of God by the things that we do. God's love is given. God's love is given without cost or strings attached. We live lovingly because God loves us so much. Thank God there is a way to change our lives and be forgiven our mistakes. Jesus is God's redemptive act for a fallen world. Amen. Now it just concludes that for Howard, everything became crystal clear after his near-death experience. And he is simply grateful that he has been given another chance to live his life, be forgiven his mistakes, and love the God who so dearly loves him. Aren't you thankful for second chances? Aren't you thankful for Jesus? Now, the Bible says that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. No one here is perfect. We've all made mistakes. It's why we need Jesus. You were made for a purpose. You were made to know him. You were made to love him. You were made to be loved by him.